So what happens when a popular TV show is released on a platform with all eight of its episodes ready for download and you have the ability to sit and watch all of them in one sitting? Well, that's called binge watching. And that's exactly what Stranger Things has done to people that like the show or like the franchise, is that they know that every single episode is coming out, it's going to come out on the same day, and when it does drop, they have blocked out the next six to eight hours of their life so they can watch all of those episodes right in a row. And Netflix, I'm talking to you, I blame you entirely for this, uh, because I did sit through probably the first four episodes, I was binging, I didn't like it. I did like the, you know, what I was watching, but I realized, man, I got to go do something else, and I got to stop staying up till one in the morning watching this this show. So, hey, listener, welcome to the Writer's Lens. This is Josh Chasey Felto, and in good form, I'm going to do another review of Stranger Things, this time on season three. Spoilers ahead, I assure you, uh, so stick with me if you want my full review on season three. Here we go. All right, so you have been warned that there will be spoilers in this review of Stranger Things Season 3. And I know I'm probably a little late to the party because as I was laying out in the intro, most people, I think, if not in the many millions that watched this uh, this last season of Stranger Things, did so in about a five to six hour time gap and uh, binged it, watched it as fast as possible. So I'm probably late to the party on even talking about what happened at the end of Stranger Things uh, since you know I'm now doing this episode towards this, the end of the second week of July. So I'm late in that regard, but the fact that Netflix has chosen to release entire seasons at once is just, it's almost like a dream come true, I think, for, for film junkies and TV junkies. But for someone like myself, the aggravation of having to wait a week to see the next episode of my favorite show now suddenly makes sense to me because as I'm sitting there watching the fourth episode in a row of Stranger Things and I'm looking at the clock and I'm tired, but my interest has peaked and I, and I just want to keep going, a part of me says, just finish the next episode. Just see where it's going. That's all you got to do, Josh. And then another part of me, which is probably the wiser, more logical, the logos part of me, is saying, dude, you have to get up early. You have work. Uh, you have other responsibilities. Your son, your newborn, is going to be waking up in about an hour anyway. Wouldn't you want to get a little bit of sleep before that happens? And you have to assist your wife in the feeding. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you would think the latter would win out. But the former won out, at least for one episode. The former would win out for one episode. So over the course of about three nights, I ended up watching all eight episodes of season three of Stranger Things. So I, I was not like the majority of Americans, I think, who sat and watched this whole stinking season, <clears throat> uh, perhaps in one sitting. But uh, I, I, I'm not trying to wave my flag of, of, oh, look at me, I was able to not binge it, or oh, look at me, I was able to do it in three days. That's not what I'm trying to make a point of here. It's just that, man binging these shows and getting involved in them this way. It's almost like watching the Lord of the Rings extended edition all over again, where there's like four hours of bonus content and you're kind of wondering, when is this going to end? Oh, oh, wait, I started at eight this morning. It's already two in the afternoon. <laughs> when is this? Do I have any other priorities? Do I have anything else I have to be attending to? But anyway, all right, I was, after that wonderful rant that I just put you through, let's talk about Stranger Things season three. Now, I did a review on season two, 
uh, I believe, about a year or two ago, first when I first did this podcast. And I thought, hey, you know, why not? Let's do another review of Season 3, because it's one of the few shows that I actually do get excited to, to watch, uh, not, uh, you know, notwithstanding of some of the other ones that I've, I've watched on Netflix. But Stranger Things is interesting. It's piqued my interest, let's just put it that way, for a lot of reasons. And one of the big reasons that's piqued my interest is the style of the 80s and just the nostalgia that comes out of it. And, you know, I'm an 80s kid, but I'm more a 90s kid because I was born in the 80s. I grew up in the 90s. But the 80s have always been sort of this strange era of mystique with, you know, the the strange hair and the, the techno lights and just the neon and all this kind of stuff. And kind of where a lot of movie characters, their careers were birthed in the 80s. And so seeing all the flashbacks, I think, is one of the things I really love about Stranger Things is just all the callbacks to that era. Uh, so that's one of the things I really appreciate about this this show. But but I do want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So that's how we're going to break down this review. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not going to go from episode one to episode eight on what happened. That's totally up to you. That's on you, that's on you to do. Uh, you know, again, I'm not going to rehash everything because I'd probably forget a few things. And really all I really want to talk about is... Was it good? Was it bad? Was it ugly? Was it anything else in between? And like any other show that has more than one season or has more than one, uh, let's say a movie franchise, anything that has more than one attached to it always runs the risk of underperforming or trying to outdo itself and not really trying to stand on its own. Stranger Things, to me, overall, season three, does a great job of just bringing us back into the world of Hawkins, Indiana, and getting us familiar with the characters again. Again, this is my overall. This isn't necessarily getting into the good, the bad, and the ugly yet. It does a great job of reimmersing us into the 80s and being in that world, again, in the setting and just the feel of it. So Stranger Things, good job. You know, season three, great job of that. So that was that's the first thing, and it does super, super well. But there are some things that I, I have some criticism of, uh, you know, who is without criticism. It wasn't a perfect season by any stretch of the imagination. And there were some things that were very much to be desired of, I think. And I'll, and I'll explain that, uh, or rather, why I feel that way. But let's talk about the good first. Let's, let's really get into the good stuff. Number one, it was entertaining. Okay, if you watched the entire season or you're going to, it's entertaining. Okay, from start to finish, it's an entertaining season. Uh, there are a few moments that drag a bit with, with some storyline elements, but overall it's very entertaining. Number two, it really deals well, I think, with the whole teenage angst that the kids are going through. I mean, these kids are not getting any younger. I mean, Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, uh, is no longer the hairless, barely can speak English little girl who can who stands up to like your mid your midsection. Okay, she's she's becoming a teenager now. It's very evident of that. There's hormones raging her and Mike, I believe, have this little tryst going on in the beginning of the season, and it's her first boyfriend, it's his first girlfriend, and there's there's a lot of really good depth there about trying to understand what it's like to be a teenager in a relationship or a young person in a relationship. So that I think they did a pretty good job with that in terms of handling it uh, maturely but innocently, I think, uh, in that dynamic, even though the kids, I think, end up coming to very mature decisions at the end of the the series or at the end of the season, which I, I think a lot of teenagers probably wouldn't come to those conclusions, but maybe being that they're in the fight for the end of the world, they kind of have a much you know faster track 
they're on a faster track to to being adults and, and making more wise decisions. So maybe they got that going for it. But those, but that was another thing I thought they did pretty well. The soundtrack to season three is also really really solid. The music just enhances the atmosphere. So I think season three does a great job of of just like I said reimmersing us inside of Hawkins, Indiana in the middle of the 80s. Just just great job all around there on the soundtrack. I mean, just great picks. All the music in this thing was just was just really, really good. Uh, they kept it personal. Uh, it was all about the individuals that are in the story, so that was good. Uh, you know, every character gets at least one point or time to shine or, or say something witty or smart or, or interesting, even though it's a massive ensemble cast. Of characters, uh, I, I think most everybody gets a little bit of screen time where they can do their thing, and we can actually care a little bit about them. So, so that also was really good. This is probably something that I think people who watched it may not think was good, but I did. The fact that Billy was turned into a bad guy right away, and then had the opportunity to redeem himself at the end, I really like that about this season. I, I had been speaking about it with a few other folks who watched the show, and they were just kind of taken aback by Billy and were like, yeah, I don't really care about him. But I can see what they tried to do with him to make him into this very uh, sort of tragic character. You know, he had a tragic upbringing. We knew from the last season that he was the uh, not the beneficiary at all of a, of a good childhood. His father beat him and called him all these kinds of names and told him he was a nobody. To me, showing the tragic nature of his childhood through his memories that Eleven got to see really made me feel for him that, you know, he's not just this monster who chose to be a monster because he was a monster to begin with. And I don't know if that's a theme that Stranger Things likes to explore or wants to explore, uh, but to me that's a theme worth exploring, that even though some of these characters are presented as being perhaps more villainous than others, Billy, I think, was the one who really was the most tragic this season in terms of, wow, like this guy really had it rough growing up. Um, you know, he became the thing that he hated most, which was his dad. He became a very rough and gruff person, uh, which is another great example of a theme that, that I think is a, another model of good storytelling is just showing that he w- he came from a place of innocence. He turned into a jaded monster and became exactly like his father. Uh, which is all too true of real life, is that we often mimic the things that we're familiar with, even if they're wrong, even if they're bad. And a lot of that has to do with parenting and, and upbringing and all other kinds of things like that. Uh, but but seeing his character arc, Billy's character arc, and the way that it went, yeah, I didn't really like the fact that he died at the end of this season, but I think there was nowhere else for him really to go uh, because after he had done so many bad things for the Mind Flayer, I think it was pretty much a done deal that, that Billy just, you know, he wasn't going to be able to stick around. Or he had to become a runaway or something. I think that would have been kind of cool, is if he would have gotten away somehow and was like, I have to start my life over. I, I, I can't stay here, et cetera. And then maybe they bring him back later. But, hey, I have no idea. He, he seems pretty dead after <laughs> you take a, a otherworldly fleshly tentacle to the chest that like, tears your heart out. I think you're pretty much dead. So, so Billy, his whole story I thought was really good. Uh, you know, playing sort of the tragic villain, um, and the acting that was that was done on his behalf, fantastic. So really, really good job there with the character of Billy. The other thing I thought that was really good about this season 
were certain values that ended up getting promoted that were pretty overt, I thought. They weren't very subtle. So the, the first one of which is, it happens in the very first episode with Mrs. Wheeler, and she has this almost affair with Billy, uh, where, you know, he's like trying to coax her to come for a private swim lesson, and it's, I mean, this is Nancy's mother, I mean, clearly she's old enough to be his mom, you know, he's trying to get with her, and she is really considering it, you know, there's this whole buildup where she's putting on lipstick, and she's she takes her wedding uh, band off, She's wearing a really nice outfit. She does her hair. She starts to walk downstairs, and then she witnesses her husband sleeping on the couch with her with her other daughter, and you know she's like cozied up into him, and she has this moment of clarity where it's like, what am I doing? I'm destroying my family. I'm going to destroy it, and I thought that was really cool. You know, I, I really thought that they were going to do something where she was going to wind up maybe there and then maybe try to back out and he was going to do something horrible to her or, you know, the mind flare was going to show up. That's where I kind of thought it was going. But the fact that it was cut off before it even got there, I thought was kind of a good lesson, honestly, because as you follow Mrs. Wheeler throughout the rest of the season, you don't really get to see too much of her, uh, which I thought was kind of unfortunate. But the moments that you do see her, she's encouraging her daughter, Nancy. She is uh, hanging out with her husband and their daughter, and just trying to be like a good mom, I think is, is the best way to put it. So it was very clear that she made a decision that her family was more important than sort of this selfish pursuit. And uh, I thought that was very admirable. So I really liked that being promoted in this show. Because typically, I, I think a lot of times in these kinds of shows uh, that become super popular, there's almost this compromise that starts to happen in terms of, of do we really believe in good values or are we going for shock value? You know, are we going to go for shock value now? So I was very impressed that the writers did not go down that route and they decided to go a different route. So I think that was very sort of counter to what we normally see. So I, I, I did enjoy that. And of course, you have other good themes that they explore in this too, like the friends sticking together or reconciling and, you know, dealing with the tensions of the opposite sex, uh, sort of interrupting things in relationships you know, the, the four boys that the whole story was revolving around in the ver in the first season, Will, Mike, Lucas, and Dustin, how they were separated for most of the season, but they come back together and they kind of have this sort of reunion, this reconciliation. I thought that was done, you know, pretty well. And just the whole theme of growing up and maturing. I mean, Will, who I'll get into later because I got all kinds of stuff to talk about with Will, Will wanting to preserve his childhood and wanting to be a Dungeons and Dragons master and wanting the boys to be part of that. The scene where he's talking to the two boys that have girlfriends, or at least the one wanting to still be with his girlfriend. He still wants to play Dungeons and Dragons in their basement. He wants to wear the wizard's cap. I, I thought this was a really good message to be had, uh, especially in this time, because I think there's a very real spirit of, of immaturity for, for boys that's permeating through our culture. This isn't anything big or new, but but just this idea of, of adolescence being extended indefinitely and never really growing up is something that I, I just see in so many men, especially young men, that there's this idea that I'll never really have to grow up. I can just be irresponsible for the rest of my life or I can indulge in certain things for the rest of my life and not really take responsibility for myself. And since I'm such an advocate for personal responsibility, I really enjoyed this, how Will kind of comes to grips with yeah, I'm growing up, um, 
and I need to start. I, I need to start moving past uh, different things. You know, I, I need to start moving on past this this moment of my childhood. And it was kind of it was kind of sad actually when he was tearing down the the fort out in the middle of the woods and and trying to just sort of part ways with that world. And, and in, in many ways, he was trying to part ways with his friends, which, as we know, by the end of the season, he again he reconciles with them. He, it's totally cool, but realizing that he was going to have to grow up. You know, he was going to have to eventually leave the comfort of his basement. He was going to have to leave the comfort of, you know, the the Dungeons and Dragons world and become a young man just like the rest of them. And so uh, I like that. I did like that theme being explored and and just really sort of coming full circle by the end of it. So I, I did enjoy that. Again, I'm not saying that you can't be an adult and, and like Dungeons and Dragons, okay? Like, I'm not saying that, but I am saying in terms of priority and terms of, like, where what space does that hold in your heart or in your, your day? Uh, you know, it, it could be an outlet, could be a small hobby, but it, it can't be the thing that encompasses everything. You know, so I, I hope that that makes sense. Um, so these were a lot of the really good things. I, I think that the the graphics, the the production value obviously was increased for this season because of the success of the last two. That was pretty obvious. You know, another few minor good things about the the show this season was just sort of exploring new territory, I think, with some more uh, you know, darker things, like the Mind Flayer actually coming into the world of Hawkins, not as just a shadow, but as a fleshly thing, as an actual physical thing. Uh, but this is also part of one of my gripes, so I'm going to segue here pretty soon. But, uh, you know, again, just this this theme of of friendships and kinship and working together, I think Stranger Things tries to make a big deal of that. Like, you can't do things completely on your own. Like, you, you can't go through life just by yourself. You have to realize that there are other people out there that you can help and they can help you. So, uh, again, that was one of the really good things about this, about this season. So, <coughs> excuse me. So that's, that's my list of good things about Stranger Things. Now let's talk about the bad. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the, the bad things about this, and this isn't even the ugly yet. The bad things about this season the very first one that pops up in my mind is there was absolutely no visiting the upside down at all in this entire season. I mean, it was it was very strange, for lack of a better word, that we were not visiting the upside down in this season whatsoever. I mean, the first season literally is about a boy being trapped in the upside down for the majority of the entire season and then venturing into it. The second season was about closing up a giant portal with a giant monster that got out and he's trying to you know put veins or roots all through these fields to eventually take over in our world and you know kind of invade our world uh you know that made sense as far as a progression standpoint from the first season but there's literally no time spent in the upside down other than the very first i think it's the first episode or maybe the beginning of the second one where billy has this vision after he's been sort of taken control of by the mind flare and uh, I just, to me, that was just so disappointing. I mean, it's like, why on earth would you not go back there? I mean, this is this is what made this show so interesting in the first season was there's this world that's connected to ours. It's called the quote-unquote upside down. And everything there is this bleak, 
version of the world that we know. And it's dark and it's it's strange and uh, we don't really know what's over there. There's all these mysterious creatures. Somehow they've leaked into our world and inspired Dungeons and Dragons apparently, like the Demogorgon, the Mind Flare. I really thought that they were going to explore this further in this season. And the fact that they didn't was a big disappointment for me. It was a big, big disappointment. And you may disagree with me on that. You may think this season was immaculate and was greater than than sliced bread. This is, again, my review of it. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the kids in the Upside Down or somebody go to the Upside Down and just try to learn more about it. I, I, why we didn't go there, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, apparently we just wanted to stay in the in the mini mall for the majority of this season. Uh, so whatever. So no Upside Down. Big big disappointment there. The other thing that was disappointing was the rehashing of a previously used villain in the form of the Mind Flare. Honestly, seasons two and three, in my eyes, could have been a combined season. Like, you could have eliminated maybe three or four of the elements of season two and just melded season three into this one. Uh, Honestly, I think that's what they could have done. I don't know if that was the original plan and they just decided to spread it out because they knew they could make money off this, this new franchise on Netflix. I don't know. But... I mean, seasons two and three feel like it could be the exact same. They could be part of the exact same run of eight or nine, maybe ten episodes. Because we have the same villain. He's trying to do the exact same thing. He's trying to take over our world and leave his and all this kind of stuff. And and I just, I wasn't really sold out on it. You know, I was really expecting there to be something different brought to the table for this season. You know, if that sounds a little, uh, maybe... Uh, you know, uppity of me to, to say that or whatever the word, whatever the term may be. But I, I was a little bit, I was a little bit, dis- I was again disappointed by that. I, I didn't really care to see the Mind Flayer again in this season. I thought there was going to be a new villain that was going to present himself, maybe something from a Dungeons and Dragons themed card. Because again, going back to the original season or the original, fir- the first season where the boys are naming these creatures based upon the game that they're playing. We've totally abandoned that after season two. We've totally abandoned it. What are we doing now? We're just we're we're basically trying to survive against the giant flesh monster that is a amalgamation of human beings turning into rotting poop and rats and fertilizer and all this other kind of stuff. So uh, not good. I again, it just was not good for me. And then lastly, as far as the bad is concerned, there was a, a couple of poor character arcs. Will, I think, got done the dirtiest of anybody. I mean, he was literally the kid in the, stuck in the Upside Down in the first season, and then he's the guy taken over by the Mind Flayer in the second one. And what does he do in this season? I mean, he literally, he does go through that that sort of, you know, like I said, the, the innocence, uh, wanting to preserve it, wanting to stay a child, wanting his, innocent, wanting, wanting his childhood back, basically and not wanting to grow up and i thought to myself this is old, this is a good idea you know they should really try to explore this more and talk about will's struggle to be a, a kid but not a kid at the same time and all this kind of stuff and it just never really went anywhere i mean it was like i said it was great for the theme of innocence versus maturation but in terms of will himself and what value he brought to this season, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he basically has these moments where he stands there and holds the back of his neck and says, he's here. 
right? Like he's here. Like like somehow Will is like the personal radar, <laughs> you know, for the mind flare. Like his only job is to just kind of be in the room and it's like, oh, okay, wait a second. I sense him, you know, the he's here. He's he's back. I I know I know he's coming. All right, guys, you know, batten down the hatches. Here we go. So I, I, I thought his his character could be handled a lot better. I don't know why he's been pushed to the back so much as, you know, other than creative reasons. Maybe more people like Mike and Eleven for for whatever reason. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I just don't know. But uh, but there was that for, you know for his character, and then you know just in general, I think some of the other characters like Jonathan and Nancy they had an interesting story. But again, Jonathan is Will's older brother, and he was part of the primary family of the first season, and in the second season he fights for Nancy which was another predictable element. You knew they were going to get together, obviously. Uh, I just I just went, what? Like, where else is this guy going to be at in this? I, I don't understand why he got pushed to the side so much uh, for this, you know, for this season of Stranger Things, unless fans were clamoring for Steve to have more action and he should be involved more. And I, I, I don't know. I, again, I just, I was like, come on. I mean, the, the whole family of Joyce... And Will and, and Jonathan just kind of, it's like, what what happened to those guys? You know, they just, they, they kind of became non-essential elements to the story, even though Joyce was, Joyce was essential, but, you know, and another thing that just kind of irked me throughout the duration of this season was the amount of swearing from the kids. And I, and I know some people are going to hear that and go, ah, oh, Josh, you're such a prude. Uh, you know, what's your deal? But I mean, seriously, though, it, these kids are, you know, they're not adults, Right. I mean, granted, they're dealing with some pretty adult things, you know, trying to save the world. But I, I just felt like a lot of it was so forced, you know, as if to, you know, give the, you know, presentation that these kids were not just kids, that they were something more than that. And I and I don't really like that. I mean, that's just me personally. I, I just don't really care for it. Uh, it has nothing to do with preserving innocence necessarily, but rather just being a little more realistic. Um uh, you know, with all that, I mean, I get that these kids are under a lot of duress uh, from a story standpoint, but it, to me, it felt like it was just a lot uh, throughout the entire season. Um, and again, it could have been, hey, we're doing this because they're teenagers now, they're going to have fouler mouths, whatever. But, you know, for me personally, I just was like, I, you know, I don't really care for it. So, so again, you know, you can totally disagree with me on that, but that's my my personal take on on the vernacular that was that was prominent throughout. So so that's another one. Again, th- those were some of my my criticisms as far as the bad goes. Now for the ugly. <clears throat> the one thing that you have to be careful of, and again, I'm not an expert in this, but I can observe it from being someone who's watched movies and read you know books with ensemble c- casts, is the danger of having too many characters to juggle. Now, again, I've never made a movie. I've never made a major motion picture. I've never made an ongoing series. So the Duffer Brothers are way ahead of me in this one. But as a fan, as someone who's watched this a long time, too many characters. Too many characters in this season, hands down. Just too many of them. Uh, like I said, Will and and Jonathan, uh, Steve to some regard, even though he was, he was given a lot more to do in this uh, season, Working at the what was it uh, Ships Ahoy or <laughs> uh, the ice cream place, uh, which was hilarious, but just too many characters for this season. 
I, I think the expansion of it, uh, what they did, nice idea. But in the end, it just completely killed the lack of suspense. Because at, at one point, I was just like, nobody from the main character line is going to die. And even Hopper's death, which is part of the ugly here for me, um, just seems to be something that was thrown at the last second. And I, and I don't understand why, because the only characters that really had a true death in this was Billy, and he was the villain. Everybody else miraculously survives this whole thing. A bunch of kids survive a battle with an otherworldly entity that is 20 feet tall and has superpowers. I mean, I it just at some point you just kind of go, okay, I don't know if I can suspend my disbelief that much anymore. <laughs> I just I just don't know. Um, I mean, it's great they all survive, right? I mean, it's great. No, nobody wants to see any of these kids perish. But I just I'm left feeling like it's just too predictable. There's too many characters. There's too many you know eyes and ears and individuals that are swept up into this thing and and. We just know that they're going to pull it out. We just know they're going to pull it out because they're all beloved and they're all part of this story. I was expecting some kind of a curveball. I was expecting somebody to, to bite the bullet other than Hopper, who is one of the adults. And with the extra credit scene where the Russians have him, have I'm assuming they have him in that cell. And yes, that is my theory that it is Hopper in that prison cell at the end of the at the end of the post credit scene. He did not die. You know, he was, he's not dead. He wasn't vaporized because, A, they didn't show it. And, B, uh, the whole extra credit scene with, with no, not the American. Okay, come on. I mean, who else could it possibly be? Bald Eagle, you know, the guy, the Bald Eagle guy? I, I don't know. So, um, so yeah. So, just too much predictability in this season as far as the ugly goes. Too many bailouts at the last second. I mean, Steve running his car into Billy's to save everybody out in front of the star court. Yeah, it seemed really cool at the time, but oh, come on, man. Like the timing of that insane the fireworks display in the in the in star court um, to stop the mind flare were just a few others that I that I had kind of jotted down before I did this episode. I get that that's kind of the theme of the show are these sort of miraculous rescues, which are which are cool. Okay, they're they're totally cool. I get that. But a little bit overdone, I think towards the end because it completely for me killed the the sense of suspense and i and i should have been more like okay what's going to happen is this person going to die is that person going to get swept away is that person going to lose an arm or a limb or something i just it's very hard once you have a character with established superpowers like 11 what to do with her you know and, and how to make her sort of obsolete in a scene and I know that they've taken away her powers, but we, you know she's going to get them back, okay? We know that she's going to get them back for season four. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Maybe one of the other boys or one of the other kids are going to get superpowers. Who knows? Um, but uh, but too much of that for me in this season. And another part of the ugly was just too much of, I don't know what's going on, but here's a person who suddenly knows everything at the last minute. <laughs> you know, like they're all they're all standing around, Nobody has the right answer, and all of a sudden, somebody just says, well, I have it. You know, Eureka. You know, I'm the one that knows exactly what's going on. I'm the one that's going to do this. And it's a, you know, it's a it's a plot device that gets used a lot. And I think in terms of binge-watching shows, you wouldn't be able to recognize this as readily if you weren't binging it. I mean, if you waited a week and then it came back on and you watched the full episode for 45 minutes to an hour... And you'd be like, oh, man, that rescue was so cool. You would not think 
that's just six, seven days prior, the exact same scenario played out for you. And you were just as excited then as you are now, seven days later. But uh, but yeah, just uh, to me, just too much of that. There was way too much of that going on, which again kills the, the sense of suspense. And if I must, this is my last thing on the ugly for this season, was Lucas's little sister was annoying. I, I'm sorry. I just, I could, I didn't care about her at all. She was annoying. She was constantly just belittling and berating everybody that she talked to. I mean, what girl at this age is like that and somehow ends up helping save the world? I can only suspend my disbelief so long <laughs> in terms of all these things. But I, I, it's nothing against the actress. It's nothing against her. I mean, I'm sure the writers wanted her to, portray, to be portrayed that way. But man, I was, I was so off-put by that character. I just was like, can we please just get rid of her? I didn't even bother to remember her name for this episode. You just you know who I'm talking about. Lucas's little sister, the one who fit through the vents, the the nerd, the one who wanted ice cream for life to stop the Russians. Just after a while, all of her quips and her her comments were just like, okay, I've I've had enough of this. <laughs> just had enough of this extremely annoying character <laughs> in this in this show. Uh, so. I don't know if she's going to be back or not. I'm assuming she will be because that's what this kind of a show does. It introduces someone with the with the intention of keeping them around. Uh, but here's hoping that she doesn't have a, a major major role in the next season because uh, for me she was a little bit a little bit insufferable at times. Uh, so uh, let's let's hope that she doesn't make it back necessarily for season four. So that's the good, bad, the ugly for me of Stranger Things season three. So thanks for listening on this rant here on the writer's lens. Um, as I wrap this thing up, and I know this is a bit of a long episode, but um, uh, overall out of 10, I give this season like a seven, seven and a half. The first season by far was the best. It was the best because it, it had the most mystery. There was a lot of intrigue going on with what's the upside down. You know, how do we get there? How do we stay out of there? What is it? What exactly is it in, in general? Why was Eleven the only one who was able to open up the portal? You know, are there multiple upside downs? Like there's there's so much there that that the writers can explore and I hope that they do in season four. I really hope that they do that uh, because I, I, I don't want them to try and make this a very grounded show because it's supposed to be about strange things. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be about. And instead, I, I feel like this season kind of jumped the shark a bit on that concept and it eliminated the mystery and replaced it with a lot of, hey, we're just going to talk about teen angst. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, introducing other characters for the sake of making a larger cast. And, and you know, now we're going to reintroduce the mind flayer again. I just I, I wasn't bought on that, which is why I don't give it a higher rating. And the reason why I do give it such a high rating, though, is that at the end of the day, it was very entertaining. It's a great little franchise. Uh, it is an entertaining uh, show. Can't take that away from it. It's it's well written in some, in some regard from the dialogues that, that were were happening towards the end of it between, especially between Hopper and Joyce and Bald Eagle. I just refer to him as Bald Eagle because I think it's funnier. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I like that. I did like that. The, the dialogues were good. 
the Alexei character, the the Russian that they captured, great character. Russian Terminator was fantastic. Uh, some of the action sequences, brilliantly shot, really good. Uh, but but again, that sense of mystery, the sense of mystique and intrigue about the upside down and what it means and what they're trying to do and accomplish. I just, where was that in this season? It just didn't exist. It totally didn't exist. And I was very upset that we didn't get a new villain, that we didn't get some new monster to come out of the upside down uh, to terrorize Hawkins, Indiana. I was very much disappointed that the Mind Flayer returned. Uh, I I wouldn't have mind seeing him come back in like season four or five and try to pull the stunt that he did in season three. But I, I just feel I just feel like they used him too soon. Like he shouldn't have been in this season. There should have been some other entity or creature in the Upside Down that um, that they would go after or that would show up in Hawkins and terrorize the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't get that. And so that's why I, I didn't feel as strongly about this season. Uh, I think it was better than season two, though. But uh, but season one, just, again, it's hard to beat a really good launch uh, with consecutive seasons after that. I know that a lot of people love this season. Uh, again, I thought it was good. It was good enough for me to finish in about three days' time when I had some time to do it. But I, I'm not going to give it a raving review because I, I think there was a lot of potential missed in this season with some of the characters and just... Uh, the, the predictability that came from it. But but that's my total review on Stranger Things Season 3. So hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as I did. Again, if, if I spoiled anything for you, hey, I gave you a full disclosure at the beginning of this, listener. So what, do you, what did you think of Stranger Things? I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're a story guru or fanatic, or maybe you just enjoy my voice. If it's any one of those, what did you think of it if you watched it? What do you think of it in general if you haven't watched it? I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Uh, you know, on this uh, on this phenomenon of Netflix that is the Stranger Things series. So, until next time, guys. Thanks for checking in on this bonus episode of The Writer's Lens. I'll be back with a regular episode soon. This is Josh Acio Felto. I'll talk with you guys again soon.